This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. In the last two weeks, we have looked at the truth of marriage from the book of Genesis, the book of the beginnings. And we have learned that there are two foundational truths concerning marriage, two truths upon which marriage stands, and we must seek the roots of our faith deeply into these two truths. The first is that marriage is God's doing, or marriage is God's institution. When you are married, God did that. God united you in a covenant of marriage, one man, one woman, until death. We learn from Genesis chapter 2 that God made man, and God made the woman from the man, and brought the woman to the man, and said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and cleave to his wife. And Jesus made the point most clearly that marriage is God's doing for life when he spoke in Mark chapter 10, the verses 6 through 9. In those words, Jesus said that from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Then he quoted from Genesis 2, verse 24, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. So then, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Hear those words. Think about those words from the mouth of Jesus Christ. What God hath joined together. Marriage is God's doing. Every marriage is God's doing. God joins a man and woman into one. And so marriage is God's institution. But secondly, marriage is also God's display, or that is, God has a purpose for marriage. And that purpose is his own gracious covenant with us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Marriage is God's showcase, or God's model of Christ and the church. That was God's purpose, or God's design, God's intention in giving marriage. God always has a purpose in all of his works, and the purpose of all of God's works are to reveal something about God. The Apostle Paul makes this point most clear in Ephesians chapter 5, the verses 31 and 32, when, quoting again from Genesis 2, verse 24, he says, This is a great mystery, namely, that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, when God gave the union of one man and one woman in marriage, joined together, holding fast to each other, joined in vow and sexual union, God, when he did that, was portraying something. He was portraying the covenant of Christ and the church. God's intention for marriage is that it be a model, it be a showcase of Christ 
and the church. That lifts marriage out of the sewer of the sitcoms, and it elevates it to the clear sky of God's purpose and glory. That spells out what married people are to be. Our calling as a husband and wife is to display the covenant, the faithful, forgiving grace of God to each other, to mirror to the world what it means that Christ and the church are united in a perfect bond of love and peace. Marriage, therefore, is pointing to something glorious and eternal. Marriage itself, said Jesus, will pass away. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, the Lord said that in the resurrection, that is, in eternal life and glory, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Marriage passes away because marriage now is intended to point to something. And then, when that something comes, it vanishes. And what it points to is Christ and the church, something that endures throughout eternity and will be perfected when Jesus returns. Marriage, then, is God's doing. God married you. And marriage has God's intention that your marriage be a model of what is closest to his heart, the union of Christ and the church. Now, if marriage is to be this model of Christ and the church, then marriage must be based upon forgiving grace. The most crucial, central thing to practice in marriage is the forgiving grace of God. For how is it that Christ is married to the church, to us? How can that marriage possibly work? The answer is forgiving grace. So, our marriages are to be a display, a showcase of God's forgiving grace. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians, or rather Colossians, chapter 3, at verse 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision, excuse me, that's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The code of Christian conduct is not based, says the Apostle, on how others treat you, but as Christ has done to you, so you are to do to them. The code of Christian conduct is not fairness, as we would interpret it. It's not, well, it's my turn now. That's not the code of Christian conduct. But as Christ did to you, so do ye to others in every relationship of your life. And now marriage, marriage is not, well, as he did to me, I'll do back to him. Or if that's the way she's going to be, I'll show her. No, you may not look to your spouse and how your spouse has acted to determine how you are going to behave and act. But as Christ has done for you and to you, so are you to do to your spouse. In other words, 
in marriage, you and I are to live hour by hour in glad and humble experience of God's forgiveness of ourselves, of the vertical, of what God has done to us. And then we are to reflect that. We are to mirror that. We are to mimic that. We are to bend that out on the horizontal. And we are to live hour by hour in humble, joyful forgiveness and forbearance one of another. Marriage because it's to be the picture of Christ in the church, is therefore the showcase, the display before the world of God's forgiving grace when husband and wife forgive each other, even as Christ has forgiven them. Are you on the brink today of horrific feelings in your marriage, of resentment and anger and bitterness? Have you fallen over, over the brink into the awfulness and hardness of unforgiveness and bitterness? What are you going to do? What's the solution? Marriage is a heart issue. God says to you, my child, sink the roots of your heart into my forgiving grace. Remember what I have done for you, and so do ye to your spouse. May that word of God speak to all of us in every relationship of our life. May it speak to children and to young people who one day are to be married, that they may be built that their marriage may be built upon that rock, and may it speak to us who are married. Marriage has a rule of conduct. The rule of conduct in marriage is this. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The Apostle then is saying to us that it's exactly out of the experience of what Christ in His mercy has done for us and how Christ bears with us presently, and of his mercy and compassion, it's exactly out of that experience that we are to conduct ourselves, and we are to treat our spouse. That's first, the vertical. Your relationship to God is first. And we need to begin by asking the question, do I know that? Do you know that? Do you know that grace of God to you? Have you truly tasted it? Is it a mere theory, or is it a living experiential reality in your soul? Is the reason for hurting relationships in your family or in your church, is the reason for the presence today of bitterness and resentment in your heart growing as a cancer, is the reason found in this that you don't know, you have not tasted what God has done for you. Do you believe and experience what God, by grace and Christ, has done for you? Do you embrace that wonder of pardon and forgiveness? Do you treasure it? Is it amazing? Is it absolutely glorious? Is Christ all to you? If that is the case, then we will want to show that in our relationships unto others, and especially in our relationship of marriage. You say, 
But, Pastor, you're talking today about marriage. Doesn't this truth that we are to treat others as Christ has treated us, doesn't that apply to every relationship of life, not just married Christians, but teenage girls, as they conduct, as they live with each other in the school, and boys and girls, and brothers in the Lord Jesus in the church? Must we not always be showing outwardly to others what we have received inwardly of God? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, always, always we are to show forth the grace that God has shown to us. But I emphasize marriage because marriage is the most unique of the human relationships. It is foundational, most long-lasting, most intimate, and marriage is the picture of Christ in the church. That's why God gave marriage, to be a picture of Christ in the church, and therefore especially in your marriage. Practice your faith there. Do not begin by practicing your faith first to the stranger and first to the neighbor who does not live with you, but practice that experience of pardon and grace that you have received of Christ. Practice that first in your relationship toward those closest to you, toward your spouse. Now, what has Christ done for us. Well, let's see how Paul presented that in the beautiful epistle to the Colossians. The apostle teaches us that he has delivered us from the wrath of God against our sins. In verse 6, the apostle speaks of the wrath of God that is coming upon the children of disobedience. Now, that's where we start. It's very important to start right there. Christ has overcome the wrath of God against our sins. We are tempted to think that our wrath and our anger against our spouse is too big to overcome. But we must see that the grace of God has overcome something infinitely greater, the wrath of God against our sins. And how was that wrath removed? Well, go back to Colossians chapter 2, the verses 13 through 14. We read, and you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The Apostle Paul says, God took our sins, our debts, the handwriting, he says, of ordinances that were contrary to us, Every infraction that we have committed that spoke out for punishment, God took those infractions, that sin, and set it aside by nailing it to the cross. Now, you don't literally take sins and put a nail through them on a cross and fix them to a cross. The apostle means the nails that were driven through the hands and feet of Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus upon the cross. Two thousand years ago, Jesus bore all that was written against us, all our written infractions, all the written sins, all the infractions of God's people, chosen in Christ. God nailed those to the cross by pouring out the punishment those sins deserved upon His beloved Son. The Apostle says, having forgiven you all your trespasses. This did not happen 
with any help from you. You did nothing to remove your sins. You did not deserve this. God did that. God did that graciously for you before you were even born. Now make sure, make sure you see personally this most wonderful of all truths. Don't sail over it. Don't let it sail over your head. Don't have a hard heart to it. God took the record of all our sins. And instead of holding them before our face and sending us to hell, he put them in the palm of his son's hands and drove a nail through them into a cross. Whose sins? My sins. Your believing wife's sins. Your brother's sins. Jesus was punished as the substitute of God's elect children. Now you cannot believe that too strongly. And what Jesus did went beyond forgiveness. For the work of the cross goes beyond pardon. God not only declares on the basis of the cross that we are forgiven, but the work of Jesus Christ was also righteousness. He obtained righteousness for us. God required not only the punishment of sin, but he required perfection. And Jesus died both to bear the punishment of our sin and obtain for us by his perfect loving obedience a spotless righteousness before God. So what has Christ done for me? God, the answer is this, God out of an immeasurable love gave his Son to bear my punishment and perform all righteousness in my place and through faith I know that right now and I have his righteousness as accounted to be my own. The Bible itself puts it in such beautiful terms. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that's the foundation of marriage. Marriage is to be built upon that truth. Marriage is to be built upon that truth. Upon an understanding of the grace of forgiveness. Christ has forgiven you. The glorious streams of grace have fallen down from heaven upon dirty, selfish, angry, bitter sinners. You and me. And has cleansed us. And in the relationship of marriage, which is the model of Christ in the church, which is supposed to be reflecting what Christ has done to the church, we are to take that grace that has come to us and we are to bend that out. We are to reflect that to our spouse. And so the apostle says in Colossians 3, Put on then as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, humbleness of mind, meekness, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This is what it means. Let the measure of God's grace to you in the cross of Christ be the measure of your grace to your spouse. That's the rule of conduct. Treat your spouse the way Christ has treated you. As the Lord bears with you, even so do you unto your spouse. The Lord bears with you every day. Every day we fall far short of his will. Indeed, the distance between what Christ expects of us and what we achieve is infinitely greater 
than what you expect of your spouse and of what your spouse achieves, Christ forgave much more than we ever do. Christ bears much more. Let this rule be the rule of your conduct, whether you are married to a believer or an unbeliever. Measure the measure of his grace to me is to be the measure of my great of the grace that I show unto my spouse, unto those with whom I have come into conduct. But you say, Pastor, you tend to be a bit negative when you talk about marriage. You talk immediately about forgiving and forbearing. Well, isn't marriage also about romance and love? Can't we have a little bit more positive here? Where's the love? Christ and the church, that's love, isn't it? Doesn't Christ treasure the church? And isn't there a book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, which makes us blush over how tender Christ is, doting over his wife, whispering sweet things to her? Don't you believe that aspect of Christ and the church should be modeled in the Christian marriage? Tender love? And the answer is, I sure do. Marriage is to be two, male and female, humbling themselves in faith, dwelling in love, seeking to please and meet one another's needs. Yes, love. But I stress that marriage models Christ in the church by showing, first of all, forgiving grace. I stress that because there is going to be sin in your marriage and in all your relationships. In your marriage, there are going to be those idiosyncrasies, those peculiarities, those habits that that person has who you married that simply get your goat. Little things, maybe, or big things. He doesn't talk. He doesn't understand. He leaves his clothes all around. You need a way to manage that. And still more, I speak of forgiving grace because the way of forgiveness in Christ makes love flourish. The hard and rugged work of forgiving and enduring is what make affections flourish when they seem to have died. Anger and bitterness and resentment so strong as a tempest in our soul. But then we are brought to the cross to see what we have done and our sins, and that Christ has forgiven us. And then, even though we're tempted to say, my love in this marriage has died, but when we're at the cross, we are resurrected again, and we see the grace that God has shown to me. God is glorified when two very different people, two people who can't live together, when two selfish sinners who have hurt each other when they are humbled before what God has done for them. And in the light of what God has done, they forge a life of faithfulness, love, tenderness, and the furnace of their trials, relying upon Christ. The Christian life must be lived under the shadow of the cross. The Christian marriage must not stray from the cross of Jesus Christ. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. When you get too far from the cross in your thoughts or in your experience, you are going to be in trouble. And you're going to be in trouble in your marriage. That's the battle. That's the focus. The focus is this. Not the other person, first of all, in marriage. But the focus is, what has Christ done for me? 
Do I know the grace of God? That sweet, that amazing, that knock you off your feet, off your proud feet, grace. Does that huge truth fill our hearts? God has forgiven all our trespasses, taking the record of our sins against us and nailing it to the cross. Drive that truth into your conscience. Husband and wife, that truth must be greater to you than any problem in your marriage. And if any problem in your marriage is a bigger thing to your soul than what Christ has done for you in His mercy, then the problem is you don't know. You don't experience personally what Christ has done for you. Believe this Word of God. This key to a happy marriage The rule of conduct is this. What has Christ done for me? When I bow before the cross and see His amazing grace, that will awaken emotion and affection. And as Christ has done to me, so we will be resolved to do to our spouse. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy good word. We pray for the softening of our hearts and the influences of the Holy Spirit upon them, that out of the experience of thy grace we may so walk and so treat our husband or our wife that thy name might be glorified in our marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, the Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed Faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.